0: Hello and welcome to the Reading Rooms podcast. Thank you ever so much for downloading. We really, really appreciate it. You join us after the program uh, where Johnny and I, we just had a a bit of a mull over and uh, we really enjoyed putting this program together. It's a little bit different because we didn't have a book group this month. Uh, Now, we didn't have a book group because of, well, I'm going to say logistics because you can blame anything on logistics. Logistics is a wonderful, wonderful word. Uh, But what we did do is launch 101 books to read before you die. We also talked about World Book Night and where we'll be giving away books and what book we'll be giving away of course uh, we've got the content from the show which includes a story from sarah duke's uh, the fantastic life drawings Uh, there's an author i know we're going to be hearing a lot more of in the future Uh, and also uh, paula tang uh, provided us with three brilliant brilliant poems johnny and i discussed what we had in our stockings for christmas and also uh, we interviewed rob bradley former lincoln city chairman about his book taboos troubles and trusts so thanks for listening and i'll see you at the end of this podcast
1: You're listening to The Reading Room on Siren 107.3 FM. Forget school. I want to work. I bought a new tie and I've ironed my shirt. Show me the ropes. Give me a wage. I've hit the big time. I've come of age. I can change tyres. I can change locks. I can press start. I can press stop. I can rewire a brain or a heart. I can be either the horse or the cart. Partly man... Mostly machine, running like clockwork, but run out of dreams. Time to clock out, time to knock back, deaden the nerves, released from the rack. For all of my trouble, and all of my strife, I prayed the machine would last all my life. My idol now fuming, my ship is a wreck, the floorboards are leaking, there are holes in the deck. The wizard dispelled me, a curse he has etched. My parchment is stained with loss and regret. An unfinished story, who wants to read? There's glory in fruit, but who wants the seed?
0: That was Paula Tang's poem, Work. Okay, now, Johnny and I are going to have uh, a talk about what we got for Christmas. I got Stephen Fry for Christmas. Um, he's, he's a bit clumbersome, <laughs> to say the least. And that's not actually the person, the book, the book itself is massive. And, and, and this is this is the reason why I've not got very far through it. I love reading uh, Stephen Fry books. You can always read with the voice in his head because of things like QI, of course, you know, and everything like that. You know, it's got a lovely soft voice. And also I've been listening to the audiobooks of the Harry Potter as well, or trying to get into the Harry Potter audiobooks. It's something I'm, I'm surprising myself by struggling with. But the book itself, um, I, I came in the car today. Normally I'd bike down. <laughs> I don't know how it's windy outside, but It's just, you end up facing the sky if you put it on your backpack. It is so big, and that's why I've not got so far through it. Um, Now, Johnny, I know you were, uh, just before Christmas, we were talking, and you were saying you got your good lady an e-reader.
2: I did, yes, I got her a, a Kindle, well, other e-readers are available, readers, exactly. um, yeah, and she, she actually really likes it, I think it's mainly the snob value I think she likes, she likes going to <laughs> coffee shops at lunchtime and sort of getting it out in a very obvious way. And yeah, well, yeah <laughs> I mean
0: there was a, there was a very interesting, actually in one of the newspapers about that saying that uh, on on trains, uh, people are getting stopped, people are getting interrupted all the time with their reading by people wanting to talk about their e-readers and things like that, so you think, you know, you think you might, it might be a status thing, bearing in mind you have got to go home this afternoon.
2: Yeah, yeah, well obviously it's not really a snob, <laughs> snob's the wrong word. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm thoroughly, thoroughly enjoying the book. And it is, it's one to save us. The Fry Chronicles, which is his second autobiography now. Um, I've not actually read the first one, which is astonishing in itself. And you can see by itself, look, it's all m- uh, mucky and stuff, which is exactly the way a book should be. It's got my mucky fingerprints all over it. So it's, uh, it's been well-thumbed. Uh, so what did you get for Christmas Johnny
2: well the, the two books I'm kind of going through at the minute I got them, the Mozypedia, which is an encyclopedia entirely about Morrissey all what, right. what more could you possibly want wow. it's a big thick book as well but I'm also at the moment reading uh, Disgusting Bliss by Lucian Randall which is all about the comedian Chris Morris alright now he's probably best known for his news parodies like The day Today, which of course spawned Alan Partridge yeah um, oh. and Brass Eye which had that that infamous uh, paedophilia episode which uh, was massively controversial more recently he's done a film called Four Lines which is all about the the funny side of suicide bombers so a a slightly controversial figure
0: yeah yeah I've not seen that yet It's on my list It's on my big list of films to watch I read read too
2: much that's a problem I watched it last night actually it's it's really good but he's he's somebody he does create a lot of controversy but I I admire him a lot I think there's always a morality behind everything he does and always a kind of righteousness about it it's not just shock for the sake of shock and he's, he's a very very private man he never gives interviews not even for this book he gave permission for the author to speak to his friends and colleagues who all seem intensely loyal to him they wouldn't have spoken to him without that permission so I'm, i'm really looking forward to finding out a lot more about him
0: yeah, yeah, good stuff. Yeah, I've, no, I've never seen him interviewed. Maybe we should, maybe we should try and crack that nut. Maybe Chris Morris just needs to speak to a, a community radio station.
2: Yeah, you know, let's try. Yeah, let's go for it. Let's go for it.
0: <laughs> now, I, uh, I did a subtle bit of shopping before Christmas. I bought my wife the the Dawn French book, um, a tiny bit marvellous. Now, this was obviously because I want to read it. So, uh, you know, she's about halfway through it. The minute I keep Gina on, saying, "Come on, <laughs> come on, come on," <laughs> uh, and by all reports uh, from my better half, that uh, is absolutely fabulous, really well written. And um, I mean, I read the. First uh, paragraph in the shop, and I I, well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't repeat it to the children anyway. It was a uh, very inventive uh, inventive use of language.
1: You're listening to The Reading Room on Siren 107.3 FM.
0: Uh, now it's time to talk about World Book Night. World Book Night will take place on Saturday, the 5th of March 2011. Uh, this dynamic and unprecedented industry-wide initiative to celebrate adult books and reading will see one million books given away on World Book Night. So 20,000 passionate readers, of which we are they, uh, will give away uh, books to other members of the public. This is being backed by lots of pay- Patrons, lots of famous names. uh, Damon Alburn, Tilda Swinton, J.K. Rowling, Dave Gilmore, Colin Firth. Oscar winner, do you think, Colin? I think so. I think he's got to get the Oscar for that. Uh, now, recently, we were watching The Culture Show and they were talking about this, and I just sent off an email saying, yeah, yeah, let's uh, let's give away some books. Now, they've had a few uh, organisational problems and delays, uh, but we did find out that we are going to be giving away 48 copies. That's 48 copies, free copies of One Day by David Nichols. Now, we're we'll talking about the podcast there. Go back and check my uh, me to waffling on about One Day. This is an absolutely fantastic book, 435 pages of pure bliss, and uh, I'm looking forward to when my memory goes so I can read it again. <laughs> uh, now we are going to be at the collection on the 5th of March. Uh, it's a bit of an open day and there's also my cousin Kate there is showing a couple of bits of work at the OPEM exhibition. Uh, she's been selected from 300 applicants uh, and she's part of 20 there and she's got some great pieces there. Uh, she does artwork with photo booths uh, and things like that uh, and also we'll be, we'll be interviewing Kate for next month's program as well because she's included in a book alongside Andy Warhol Wow, I know, Johnny's just giving me a look. (laughs) Now, it's worth mentioning here that on the 5th of March, there are free guided tours at the Usher Gallery at 2pm on Saturday and Sunday, which is right next to the collection. And there are free guided tours of the collection at 11 And uh, we're going to try and link onto those because I love the collection. I think it's an absolutely fantastic place. Uh, We always have a great time when we take uh, the children there. So we're going to be there from 10 o'clock giving away 48 copies. Get there early because I will probably read them all (laughs) all at once.
3: The Reading Room on Siren 107.3 FM.
0: Okay, right. Now, we're announcing. We're all about the announcements. We're all over the announcements this morning. Uh, and this is a new one for The Reading Room. 101 books to read before you die. And uh, we want to create a list of the 101 books that everyone should read. And we need your help. Help. Which book do you think should be a central reading for everyone? Whether it's a book that's changed your life or just one you really enjoyed, we want to hear about it. It doesn't matter whether it's a work of great literature or a trashy paperback, although obviously we kind of prefer the trashy paperback to here, uh, A bestseller or something a little more obscure. All that matters if you love it and you're passionate about it and you want to share it with others. And uh, no, it's a funny thing, actually, because <laughs> we, uh, we we came up with this idea. And I think, actually, this was your idea, Johnny. And I, I, I really, really like the idea. But I was, I was at home yesterday and we were talking about uh, my first, Book which I'll not mention just yet, um, and I was, I was f- thumbing through it, you know, thinking about what I'm going to say about it today. And um, <laughs> my wife Zoe said, Oh, yeah, it's a book I should read. But then we started talking about recommended and, w- and what happens if people recommend you read something. You know what a snob I am, ain't? it's like if someone says, Oh, you've got to read this, you've got to read this. I tend not to bother, <laughs> you, know. And, and the same with music. I, I'm so you know, so the same with music. We've got lots of things at home that I, you know, get recommended to me, but I never really get around to listening. Just go back and listen to old Depeche Mode tracks or something. Now, then, if it's time to stop waffling and launch 101 books with my first choice
1: the reading rooms 101 books to read before you die
0: yeah yeah i like that i like that music a lot johnny that's perfect absolutely perfect now number one in the list is coming from me because i've got an ego the size of the brayford now this morning mccarthy's bar by Pete McCarthy, uh, is going to be our number one zero zero one in one hundred and one books to read before you die. Now I remember buying this. I remember buying this book in W H Smiths in Lincoln, and uh, I was walking past, looking for something to read, and it kind of jumped off me on the shelf because there's a picture of the uh, the author Pete McCarthy and a nun drinking a pint of Guinness. I picked it up off the shelf, and uh, I kind of read the first part. and There's a bit on the back that says, "Never pass a bar that has your name on it." it says the eighth rule of travel, and that was it. I, I fell in love instantly, and uh, um, it's one of these books where you read it anywhere in public and uh, you end up guffawing and laughing. I've certainly seen people on trains reading this book and they're laughing their heads off. But what I really, really like about it is that it's all about travel. So if you if you go somewhere, uh, take this book with you and read it. It's, it's about Ireland. It's all about, is uh, it's, ju- it's a journey of discovery in Ireland. Uh, but if you're travelling around, it gives you uh, a, a different way of looking at things. And uh, his, his He's a travel writer, and it's just the way he notices uh, certain things around the place uh, that really, really make you uh, make you chuckle. Now, I'm going to read a bit here, which always uh, causes a bit of worry in the studio, because as soon as I start reading anything out, it goes wrong. But don't worry, Johnny, it's not much. Uh, this is the beginning part, and it says, The harp player had just fallen off the stage and cracked his head on an Italian tourist pint. There was a big cheer, and Con the barman rang the bell at the counter. St. Patrick's Day and McCarthy's bar was heaving. And that was it, that was it, that that just took me and um, it's it's, it's an absolute joy and I would recommend this to absolutely anybody and that's why it's number one on 101 books to read before you die here on Siren FM.
4: You're listening to The Reading Room on Siren 107.3 FM.
0: Now, we've been going on about announcements uh, this morning and here is the biggie. The Reading Room will be holding a free, live, spoken word event in Lincoln to close this year's Lincoln Book Festival. Now, we've had everything in place, (laughs) except the artists and the venue, but that's that's not not to worry. All the audience, actually, come to think of it, but you're hearing about it now. Now, although it's going to be confirmed this week uh, about the venue, uh, hopefully, so uh, please keep your eyes glued to your computer screens and the local press, but uh, if if you're on our Facebook page, etc., etc., we'll be battering you with that anyway. Uh, It's going to take place on Sunday, the 15th of May, and it will include around about 15 spoken word artists from Lincoln and the East Midlands. And it's going to be broadcast live here on Siren 107.3 FM, and of course, online, sirenonline.co.uk. Uh, now, there's lots and lots of details yet to be confirmed. This is a, a big work in progress. But if you're a writer and you would like to perform in a theatre, I've written the word full here, I would like to perform in a, a theatre mostly full of people and to the wider listening community, then please get in contact with us at readingroom at sirenonline .co.uk. and if you're interested in attending the event, please do the same. Uh, but full details will be in local press and all over the internet. We'll be all about all over that one very very soon. Uh, and we're going to be trailing this across the station. And full terms and conditions will be on the website and the Siren FM website this week. As if we didn't have enough to do. <laughs> okay, now the uh, the next poem uh, from the wonderful Paula Tang, and this is Lifestyle.
1: I paid three pound eighty for a dream, barely a fiver for style. You get what you pay for. It won't get you far. I'm in the where-are-they-now file. It's all top secret. It's all hush-hush. He's stuck with the ads that will make you blush. Anguish and lust and wild hair is a must. All mapped out, so easy to see. A glossy prediction of what you could be. An advent calendar for all year round. Different compartments that threaten to shroud. The fact that I'm needy. The fact that I'm dead. The fact that I'm in way over my head. Face of an actor, face of a king. These are a few of my favourite things. Textual TV, where programming is key. Punctuated with commercial recommendation. Hyphenated with sexual incantation. Spells to raise the dead. What a trick. All this for just one centimetre thick. Discover how women work. Find out what they think. After all, they're from another planet. I think. Forever young. Forever in vogue. Looks like last year's model at best. All of the garbage you'll never afford, dangled in view and put to the test. All of the garbage that makes you feel sick is dumped on your plate, every last bit. All of the trash you really don't need. All of the junk and all of the speed. All of the rubbish you don't even want. The sirens are calling you back to the front. The asses that follow will fail to read. That free of the carriage our horses that lead
0: Paul Tang lifestyle. Uh, now, hopefully, we're going to twist Paul's arm into performing at our free live event. Did I tell you about that in the reading room? Free live event, spoken word event. Uh, we're going to include some wonderful poetry. And, uh, Paul, if you're listening we want you on the list. Uh, Now it's time to turn to uh, Sarah Dukes. Uh, Lots of writers we feature here on The Reading Room get in contact with us uh, through our friends at Writing East Midlands and Sarah Dukes did just that. Uh, She got in contact, sent us uh, a story. It was was so good I immediately sent it through to uh, Johnny saying we've got to get her on the program. Uh, Now Sarah came to our studios last month and recorded a couple of superb readings, uh, one of which life drawings you're going to hear later in the program. Uh, But while she was here I asked her if it was short stories that she concentrated on.
4: I was a short story writer up to about six months ago when I suddenly decided that I would like to write a novel. So that's what I've been doing for the last six months. And it's just about edited now, ready to send off to agents and things.
0: Okay, so you, you're actually you've gone through the editing process now. Do you find that a bit of a, a, a bind, sort of going over your old work again, or less creative perhaps? It
4: is. It's. I kind of just sat down for my novel and I just wrote it all in about a month or something, very quickly. And then afterwards, you had to go through and I realised none of it made any sense, and it was a lot less creative. And it wasn't hassle, but it was definitely, le- you know, slightly less enjoyable. <laughs>
0: yeah. Does. Being a writer and having that insight into how uh, books are written, does it does it change the way you read books?
4: Ooh, it does actually. Um, but I think I was always going to change my view of reading books anyway, um, because I was not long ago doing a degree. So obviously, when you're being a literary critic alongside of you know reading for pleasure, you do tend to criticise as well as try and enjoy books. A mark of a good book now is when it makes me read it with a reading head and not a, a critic head. Uh,
0: now, let's talk about the, uh, the the short stories you brought down this morning. Let's talk about life drawings, uh, for example. Now, wh- where did the idea come from for that?
4: I read a book called uh, Weeping Woman on the Streets of Prague. It's not a very well-known book. It's by Sylvie Germain, and it's basically about this uh, ghost lady who haunts Prague. But she also kind of goes through the book and leaves these kind of inky traces on the pages, and it was a wonderful idea. And I thought it was just a really nice image of kind of building books and literature and all everything being all made of ink, which was lovely, and that kind of formulated into an idea that a girl could have an imaginary friend that she makes up by writing him, and um, how this would kind of help her get through her problems that she's having at home.
0: And you, you, you do write very much from a voice of uh, of, of young adults young, uh, and young people. Is that is that something that you, you hope to continue with?
4: Yeah, definitely. Um, I really like the voice of the child. Um, adult issues and from a child's perspective, it's just a whole different take on it. And I really like blurring the boundaries between the adult and the innocent and the two contrasts and the things that that can make sometimes lead you some... Dark but very interesting places.
0: And you're also you're now at a stage where you, you have a finished novel, uh, pretty much. What's the what's the next step for that? How are you going to push and market that? Do you think Ooh, with
4: a lot of luck? Um, <laughs> basically, I think I'm just going to go to um, start sending out to agents and things that are um, people that should be interested in um, publishing or trying to get publishers for a young adult novel of this kind. It's just a matter really of sending a lot of paper to a lot of people and hoping one person sees. The potential in it really
0: you've also done some live work and uh, you, you've read to live audiences how does that is it because that's obviously writing quite a solitude you know, your solitary activity mm. uh, and obviously if you're taking your your work to an audience uh, how does it how does that contrast
4: it's actually so much better because it is a solitary thing I mean if you look down through the ages writers don't really have the best mental health problem you know mm. mental health but. Now, I think with the internet and writers' groups as well, I'm a member of a lot of local writers' groups, you kind of get this feeling of a community where you can talk about writing and it's a shared experience. And reading out your work as well, obviously, it makes you pick up things that you just never realised were there before.
2: You're listening to The Reading Room on Siren 107.3 FM.
0: Uh, Now it's time for the tea break, so... uh Get okay, your biscuits ready for dunking. This is Life Drawings by Sarah Dukes.
4: Life Drawings Oscar is drawing lines around my hand. He starts with a tickly finger on one thumb and goes up and down and up and down until he has drawn it right down to my wrist. I take my hand away and see his outline shining brightly in the air. He kisses my cheek with inky lips and says that he drew my hand with moon chalk so that it shines through the darkness even when the clouds make it seem as if it has gone away. He says my hand is always there, shining or silvery. We play war. He fights for justice and I fight for honour. We fire bullets made from human spleens across the battlefield. I use a bow and arrow and fire the torpedoes with one closed eye. Oscar uses a slingshot. He fires his cannonballs with a whoosh and a pichu. One of my spleen arrows pierces his chest and he dies with a twirl and a groan that lasts ten minutes. He lays twitching with a tongue out until I bestow on his white head the kiss of life and he is reawakened. But then our battlefield is seized by the football clan Smelltopia, and the black and white cannon the size of a whale stings my head with acid mud. Oscar likes to watch me write. I tell him that he is the one writing and I am the drawing book. I tell him that he can draw adventures on my skin like I do on his. Miss Marshall has confiscated all my pens, so he scratches his stories into my arm with pencils. Mrs Marshall said I would get lead poisoning. I don't think Oscar could ever poison me. He is as clear as water and as pure as cotton wool. I told her that I have life poisoning and ink is my medicine. I told her that she should confiscate my life from me. They sent a letter home because of that. Oscar hugged me in his jumper while Daddy dealt with me. Oscar's jumper smells of new books. I like to press my nose into his spine and sniff all his newness. He says that it tickles. I like to make Oscar laugh. It sounds like birds twittering from rooftops and the wind through blossom trees. Oscar, you are my best friend and I love you. Emily, you are my best friend and I love you too. Oscar, I want to squeeze you in my eyes. Emily, I want to sit in your eyeballs and see what you see with you. Oscar is good with words. One day we will build a book together. We will build it like Lego, with our hands and our feet and our mouths. We will use our spit for cement. We will build it tall and fat until it is a fortress we can hide in. We will live in the centre of an O and eat D's for lunch. Oscar will play shooting in a Z and I will slide down the S. I want to live in his wobbly lines. Sometimes, when Daddy takes me for a ride and makes me leave Oscar sitting in my maths book, I imagine Oscar is skating along by the side of the car. I draw him a skateboard with my fingertip and he rolls over the trees and along metal bars. He leaps high over impossible ditches and performs amazing stunts to show off to me. It makes me smile into the window and I wink at him when he catches my eye. Oscar never forgets to catch my eye. His snipped body is bright, white and brilliant against the black world outside of the window. My daddy sometimes stops the car. He drives into a field and pulls down my seat. I always wish with all my might that daddy will not stop the car and that he will keep driving until I get back home to Oscar. Oscar climbs into my head through my ears and places his paper hands over my eyes and keeps them warm and dark and cosy. He grabs my hand and he pulls me with him. As he runs as fast as a lion away from it. He sprinkles daffodils beneath my feet and we leap through the meadow of flowers. When Daddy's tears flood the meadow, Oscar builds a boat. When Daddy's hot whispers make a storm, Oscar draws sails to carry me away in the sunset, where we can play buried treasure all day long, with no one to stop us or to tell us that it's time to come back for tea, or that we're being wrong and that we're not being right, and there'll be no one to rip our adventures or burn them. Oscar's boat is only paper. I don't blame him for its sinking. People do not believe that Oscar is real. Oscar tells me they're just being mean. Oscar climbs in my ear at meetings so that it seems like he is not there. That way, I might not have to go anymore. Oscar whispers so silently that I can only hear him if I really listen. His words are like a secret door that I have to believe in to open. I always want to open Oscar's words. He says he wants to take me away to his own inky world, where there are no teachers, or girls with hyena throats, or daddies with cars. He says all of those things are banned. The only things that are allowed are me and Oscar, and we can stay there for as long as we want, which is forever. I want Oscar to trace all of me with his moon chalk, so that I can be as flat as him and shine bright and silver. I want to be squished down like flat sandwiches until I'm nothing but a line ready to be drawn by Oscar. I want to rub away all of the bad things and sail away on Oscar's boat lines. At lunch, we play war again. Oscar says that my kiss of life has made him more powerful and more vengeful. This time, we play hand-to-hand combat. His sword is crafted from the iron of elves. My sword is made in the fires of underwater seas. We duck and dive over forests and rivers. We climb mountains with swords locked. I will vanquish you to the floor. I will consume your body with tiger teeth. His sword pierces my heart and it spurts thick, hot blood. I twirl and twist and moan and gather a crowd of five thousand to mourn me. I lay in the mud with my tongue out and my eyes closed. I can feel his hot breath on my cheek as he bends over to kiss me. I clamp my eyes shut tight and feel for Oscar's lines. I hope that his dry kisses aren't enough to draw me back to life.
1: You broke the silence. You broke an oath. The dirt you dished has left a mark and can't be washed away with soap. What were you hoping to achieve? Letting me know what's up your sleeve. Letting me know who's doing what to who and why and who is not. Letting me know what I didn't need to. Somebody else's life is brought to the table and shared. Smaller pieces, easy to swallow. Sometimes you're left craving more. Larger pieces, hard to digest. The smell and the taste is bad at best. All is fine for the greedy and the gross. This sickening banquet goes down well with most.
0: Right, okay, now it's time to cross over to our producer, Johnny Hoare, and his selection for 101 books to read before you die.
1: The Reading Room's 101 books to read before you die.
2: Right, well my choice is Bad Science by Ben Goldacre. Now this is a a popular science book which was uh, an Amazon top 10 bestseller. And it's all about how dodgy science and statistics can mislead us into making bad decisions about our health and and how we spend our money. Now I know that probably sounds uh, sounds a little bit heavy and a little bit dull possibly, but uh, trust me, it's actually a really entertaining and, and in places genuinely funny book. Uh, ben Goldegaard takes great delight in deconstructing some of the more obvious targets, so uh, like so-called alternative medicines whose proponents use incomplete and misleading data to prove that they work, um, or the seemingly endless stream of fake health scares that, that dominate the media. There's also a very, very funny chapter dedicated to the, the poo-obsessed nutritionist Dr Gillian McKeith, PhD, or to give her a proper medical title, Gillian McKeith. Um, Goldacre's writing style in these sections is really quite pithy and and witty and occasionally more than a little sarcastic. Uh, But like all the best experts, his genuine enthusiasm for the subjects and his his desire for you just to understand why it's important really shines through. And it's it's incredibly infectious. Uh, He acknowledges that that these are quite easy targets and um, he does tackle some much more serious issues such as the, the MMR scandal. Uh, And there's quite a staggering chapter about the case of uh, a woman called Sally Clark who was wrongly convicted of uh, murdering two of her her children um, who had apparently died from cot death because an expert stood up in court and said that there was only a one in 73 million chance of two children from the same family dying from cot death, the implication being there was only a one in 73 million chance that she was innocent. Uh, And she was convicted on the basis of this and went to prison. Uh, Now over the space of two or three pages of this book, Goldacre explains why that statistic is complete and utter nonsense. And you come away from it thinking, how on earth did the entire British judicial system, not to mention Sally Clark's defence team, fail to spot that? Um, And I think that's kind of the point of the book, it's it's easy to laugh at people who believe in homeopathy or, or whatever and dismiss them as kind of gullible. But even really clever people making really important decisions about our lives can be misled by statistics. Um, and so I think that's why this book's so important, it gives you the tools that you need to question what you're told. And I found that it actually changed the way I thought when I, when I finished reading it. And it certainly changed the way I, I approach statistics and, and health claims. And I think as a society, if we're able to intelligently question what we're being told, that's a healthy society, and that's a society that's going to make better decisions. Um, And I honestly believe if everyone read this book, the world would actually be a better, saner and certainly less stupid place. So that's why I think this book should be one of the 101 books to read before you die.
3: You're listening to The Reading Room on Siren 107.3
0: FM. We recently had the pleasure of interviewing former Lincoln City chairman Rob Bradley, who's written a book of six short stories touching on the real subjects of grassroots football. Taboos, troubles and trusts include subjects such as homophobia, sexism and insolvency. I started asking Rob when he first fell in love with the beautiful game.
3: Well, I was brought up in a rural community uh, near Spilsby, and um, it was a dairy farm, so it was seven days a week, and as soon as you were old enough, you were helping on the farm. So there wasn't a lot of opportunity to to watch football, although we were all mad keen, a football family, and very sporting parents and everything else. Um, But I can remember as a very young child, um, we got somebody to do the work the, the the evening work milking the cows and we came to watch Lincoln City one night we came the back way through Washington, and all I could see was a cathedral and floodlights and honestly I was well and truly hooked this was a big city towards then
0: and to watch Lincoln City
3: the red and white stripes hooked after seconds and it's been the same
0: ever since where how did you get personally involved with, with Lincoln City Football Club well,
3: I've always followed them and watched them and um, been a su- supporter and a season ticket holder. But um, the year they were promoted to what is now League One, unfortunately, it was um, well, it was. A good achievement to do that but after the first home game there was a big crisis meeting of the supporters and what should have been a really enjoyable season because we were playing Man City Stoke and Fulham believe it or not in the same division it was yeah. a fantastic league at the time
0: yeah I do I remember that I but it was
3: that. all a big crisis and so I got involved in one of the supporters clubs and we set up a supporters club and then that transferred to being a supporters trust and things uh
0: Took off a little bit from there. Uh, from there, you were uh, you were elected chairman, is that right? Through 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 the trust.
3: Yeah, the trust um, had an agreement with the club that if we raised a certain amount of money. The, uh, the board would allow a supporter to be elected to the board, that's happening a lot now at a lot of football clubs, it's a way of involving fans in the running of the club, so I got elected to the board and then the chairman stood down and I was made acting chairman while the club was effectively for sale, so that's how that happened.
0: Am I right in thinking Lincoln were the, were the first to do this, with the fans uh, trust idea?
3: Very much one of the first. Bournemouth will always say they they had a supporter chairman first and I think that's actually true and there's a lot of different guises of how this happened but certainly one of the early clubs to involve their supporters a lot more than than just having a single owner of a football club. It, It was supporters direct is now the body that looks after these things and they always mentioned Lincoln and Exeter and Bournemouth and people like that for involving their supporters in the early days
0: yeah yeah and did you enjoy your time as chairman of Lincoln I think well
3: yeah I'd I'd say I would I mean it's a massive privilege for a a fan to be involved it was just a very difficult time so uh, I've used this expression a million times but it was like a wonderful nightmare there was so many things that needed sorting out and and we went into administration and everything else but It was incredible to be involved in your local football club that you've supported and never dreamt you'd be in the boardroom. Mm. And, And things... Got turned round with the help of a massive amount of people, so it was a very rewarding experience. That's right,
0: yeah, yeah. And it's uh, they're a surviving team, I think. Lincoln City, they're uh, they've, they've you know really really shot against all the odds and uh, continue to do so.
3: They must never get carried away with spending money they haven't got again, and a lot of supporters are aware of that. And that's what happened to them and to lots of other football clubs. So, Lincoln need to spend the money they've got try and bring on younger players recruit players that people haven't heard of and develop them and there's no reason they can't have success that way there are other ways of bringing in finance which if if people want to invest in the club that'd be fantastic or to bring on these players that then sell like the lad at Watford if if he gets sold in the transfer window would you quite a lot of money and that's that's really how clubs like Lincoln still survive.
0: So let's uh let's turn to the to the writing and certainly the writing uh, of your book uh, Taboos, Troubles and Trusts. How did you start writing?
3: Well, I'd I'd finished with football. I'm still involved with the trust movement and stuff like that and I run my own business, so I'm busy, but I just had a million memories and just some ideas really. So I started sitting at the laptop a, a couple of bored moments and and started the story about the local reporter I'm not quite sure why about the local reporter because I've never had an experience in that way but um, it was the first one I did and the I'd have to sort of thank a friend of mine Graham Lloyd who's a local broadcaster he he does stuff for talk sport and he's written books including one about Lincoln and Boston he's a very good friend of mine and he read the first story and said you ought to carry on doing this he wasn't he didn't discourage me put it that way so and he sort of helped me with it because he's published books so I just had a million ideas loads of post-it notes stuck on a board and everything else and just thought short stories. Well, they'll be interesting to do. I don't know about to read, but they'll certainly be interesting to write. Anyway, that was the basis of it. And yeah, you, you
0: read a lot of short stories b- beforehand? Because, I mean, before doing this radio programme, I, I wasn't really uh, into short stories at all. Now, I, you know, I find them endlessly exciting.
3: Yeah, I, to be honest, I, I haven't. I've got, um, I've got one or two books with s- some sporting short stories, and I was always into sort of reading just very simple sporting books and biographies and that sort of stuff. But I just thought short stories might be a quick, simple, entertaining way of getting a message across that's the other thing so it's really and I think to be honest I don't know if I'd have the expertise to write a novel because it's so much more complicated yeah. than six short stories but um so I think that's why that was why it was the short story thing because it was easier but they are distinct subjects as well which yeah. I suppose they could have been interlinked but um they just felt right
0: as six separate stories yeah and uh, are you a good writer when you sit down at your desk do you you know do you not turn on the internet or do you, do you- procrastinate or
3: um i do it when i'm in the mood or i did it when i was in the mood and sometimes it flowed okay and then other times you'd be stuck on a sentence and you know the english language is a wonderful language but it's incredibly complicated yeah. <laughs> to get across there's a lot of different ways of saying things so sometimes it worked okay and even in the book now i wish i'd written some things a bit different but there's, there's certain people who you've read who are who, who deal with the english language wonderfully you know and that's some, something to aspire to because the you know, good writers are fantastic to read, you know. But it was, it was good fun, that's why I did it.
0: Yeah, well, one of my favourite questions, and the one I ask pretty much every every writer I meet, is that does it change, uh, once you start getting into the writing process, does it change the way you read any books? Do you start looking at techniques and styles?
3: I think what you do is you recognise how good some writers are, to be quite honest. And also, I've been, I'm not saying I've done it successfully, because I've just... Done a book, basically, yeah. and it's my own effort and and everything else. It's a local sort of production. So I'm not saying anything. But then you do actually notice some that aren't written very well, to be quite mm. honest. yeah. and um you know, even someone like Tony Blair's autobiography, I mean, it's a fantastic story and there's some real drama in it, but some, some of it's written really badly, to be quite honest. Yeah. And I'm not just saying that. I've heard other people say his mixed metaphors and everything are quite funny. But then again, he wrote from the heart. And I think if people write from the heart, that's,
0: that's fine. Yeah, yeah, and I think there's probably certain people who wish that the content of that book was fiction. Yeah, uh, that's, <laughs> exactly it. that's right. Um, right, OK, so moving on now uh, to the, the content of the book. It deals very much with grassroots level. Uh, I I believe, and also um, really challenges some of the, uh, obviously the title Taboos, Troubles and Trusts uh, really sets out to to challenge some of the ideas that exist in football
3: Well that's it, because there's a million and one straightforward football books that have the stories about the stars, and there's not a lot of football fiction to be honest, there's quite a bit of faction the sort of Damned United one, and there's one about Joe uh, Joe Mercer and Malcolm Allison, really good book actually but they sort of push the boundaries of uh, realism to be quite honest and there's massive amount of media coverage of the football industry but there's some things that are never spoken about you know and there's there's little things you think about what is what is it like in in their particular position what are their challenges what have they got to put up with short stories might be a way of putting a point across without actually revealing anybody or hurting anybody's feelings or anything else like that. it's something somebody somewhere might read it and say yeah that's right i i have got that situation
2: yeah
0: and yeah, they might um,
3: identify with it you know
0: yeah and quite, quite specifically we're looking at uh, things like sexism yeah. and uh homophobia as well which uh, you, know, ov- ov- you know is obviously there you know they, i couldn't name you uh, someone who's, who's an out uh, you know declared themselves as a gay footballer
3: yeah well this is it and um uh, I mean, everybody will talk about Justin Fashionu and, uh, you know, God rest his soul because he ended up uh, committing suicide and, um, you know, uh, he obviously had a very troubled life. I'm not saying that was down to his sexuality, but there are no footballers who've, who've come out and openly declared themselves as gay. And um, I think that's a, I think that's a shame because clearly, statistically, there must be a lot of people out there who yeah. are hiding the fact that they, they cannot reveal how naturally they are as a human being. And I think that's a real shame. Yeah. It is a real... Uh, it's a sort of dinosaur of an industry when it comes to to looking at that sort of thing, and because of the criticism they get from within the industry and from supporters, and I think that's a real shame.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, w- I would think certainly. Then the, uh, the what what springs to my mind is yeah, it certainly feels like an old fashioned industry if you like. Uh, but yeah, certainly the the terrace, uh, the, you know, the the chanting from the terraces, things like that, can really really affect yeah. a, a player's game.
3: That's right. Yeah, at the highest level, it would quite possibly ruin someone's career to, to the fact that it couldn't concentrate on his or her game, but his game uh, in the Premier League if the total focal point was what they are away from the football pitch, which I think is fundamentally wrong.
1: You're listening to The Reading Room on Siren
4: 107.3 FM.
0: Now then, uh, we have uh, another 101 books to read before you die. Rachel Clare was supposed to be coming down this morning, uh, but she's uh, she's called in and sent a sick note in via uh, repairs. We want to see a signed uh, sick note for that to, <laughs> to make sure that's OK. But we've got an email in uh, to replace that item this morning, and this one comes from the book pond.
1: The Reading Rooms. 101 books to read before you die.
0: The Book Pond recommends Freakonomics. It's a must for anyone interested in numbers, consumer psychology and the quirkiness of human behaviour when faced with economic decisions. It's not Jane Austen, but I promise you won't look at the world around you in the same way again. The real draw is that it's all true, and often truth is really stranger than fiction. Thanks very much. And that comes from uh, Joanne at The Book Pond. Now, we we're supposed to be featuring uh, Joanne on December's, early December's uh, reading room, before the uh, Christmas shenanigans. But unfortunately, due to bad, bad weather, uh, we couldn't make it down. But we will be speaking to her, because uh, Joanne runs uh, bookpond.com, and this is a place where you can exchange or sell your books, uh, your literary books, not literary books, what's the word, study books, academic, academic books uh, online. And uh, I would recommend if you're looking uh, for books or looking to get rid of any books Thebookpond.com. Thanks ever so much for that, Joanne. That is number three in our list of 101 books to read before you die. Now, uh, you you can get involved. You can email us that just as Joanne's done there readingroom at sirenonline.co.uk and we can read it out. Or you're very welcome. This is a community radio station. It's your community radio station. So come down, visit the studios, and you can record one. Um, We'll be out and about, obviously, when we're uh, we're out recording for World Book Night, uh, when we're giving away 48 copies of One Day. Uh, That's on the 5th of March at the collection. Uh, from 10 o'clock. Come down there, we'll have a microphone if you've got a book to recommend tell us what you think of it, just the way uh, that Joanne did. Any way through the internet, if you want to record a video, something like that, and we're a multimedia station, and that would be absolutely wonderful. Uh, now, Rachel was going to be, now we're not going to give it a number, Rachel was going to be discussing uh, The Boy in the Striped Pyjamas, which uh, links through to the Reading Room's book group. Normally, at this time, on the first Sunday of every month, uh, the Reading Room has uh, lo- local people coming down and discussing uh, books, just like any other reading group does, but we drink tea instead of wine, because it's before 12 o'clock. Although, no, 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 no. Sherry, have we? Now then, we've uh, issued the Reading Room book group list, and uh, for next month, we're going to be reading and I've already started reading and enjoying it has to be said, Half of a Yellow Sun by Shimamanda Ngozi Adachi and um, that I I didn't sell it very well to some of our reviewers saying that uh, it's over 400 pages long and the typeset is very small (laughs) Uh, but next month, we're going to have Alex Lefchuk here from uh, Midweek Drive and also uh, our regular Mel Carroll from uh, Unicorn Tree Books. She'll be here reviewing and it's not too late for you to get hold of a copy. There's a couple of copies of that book sat waiting in our entry if if you're passing uh, the Siren Studios and you want to get involved and review a book. Uh, Now I know a lot of our uh, normal reviewers who review by email have got their own copy of this book. Uh, I'd never heard of it before but that's the idea of a reading group is that you you get together and discuss books and challenge books because I, I wouldn't pick this one off the shelf. I think the small type and the 400 pages would put me off and that says a lot. About me. Uh, now, the following books, we'll not go through the full list, although the full list is available at uh, readingroom.podbean.com, where you can also hear the podcast, of course. Now, after that, um, next month, we're going to be having... Um, Johnny and I decided uh, in our office recently um, that it would be nice to put a uh, program where all the music is cover versions. and uh, So that we're going to be doing that next month, and also we'll be reviewing A Long Way Down by Nick Hornby. And the following month, uh, a book that I think pretty much everyone got for Christmas a few Christmases ago uh, is Margrave of the Marshes by John Peel. Uh, And of course, uh, The Pig, his wife wrote half of that as well. And of course, for that one, how could we resist by doing a John Peel special, uh, by doing uh, some Peel sessions and also a lot of the bands that he influenced, which gives us a huge, huge amount of scope there. You know, whenever we think about putting a themed music program together, I always think it's going to be a bit restrictive. Uh, But, you know, John Peel gives us a huge, huge scope of a lot of great great music and uh, actually I mean in the spirit of John Peel and this is something I've just decided Johnny uh, I've had a spark of inspiration Uh, we'll play a couple of new bands as well something that no one's ever heard before uh, which would be in the spirit of of, of John Peel I think and uh, I've just made hard work for ourselves but what the (laughs) hey it's it's absolute gold.
3: The Reading Room on Siren 107.3FM
0: Uh, Now it's time to hear the next part of the interview from Rob Bradley talking about his book, Taboos, Troubles and Trusts. And I asked him about how he went getting the the book published.
3: Well, it's self-published with help from my publisher friend and from Toucan Books, who are local, who helped me edit it. But um, the the main thing, I I didn't realise how frustrating and difficult it is to to produce something like this i don't mean that in a, in a bad way but you you just don't realize when you've written something how much it needs to be changed mm. and how much proofreading needs to be done it was proofread a couple of times and everybody finds things different so the actual production of a book is quite uh, quite a challenge to be quite honest if i had any air i'd be tearing it out because <laughs> um there were there were times you just want to get it out there because it's a fundraiser that's the other thing it's yeah. a fundraiser for trusts at Lincoln and everywhere else. And I just wanted to I wanted to grasp the fact that it was finished and it was always seemed to be on a disc somewhere or on a memory stick somewhere and you didn't know where it was and you didn't know if the covers were right and you just wanted to get it there and it was finished. Right or wrong, good or bad, it was finished. And it's ever such a if anybody ever takes it up, it's a mind blowing experience. I've never known anything like it. It's nice when it's there you see boxes of them, and you yeah. you you're getting them distributed, and you think, "Well, I've done it." If it's if I sell thirteen books out of a thousand or something, and it's a total flop. I really don't care because it's done and
0: I've said it. It's a challenge that you've carried out. Yeah, yeah, and you brought it along today and to have it in your hand, I mean, what you know, what, what a uh, sense of achievement. Very handsome looking book. And you, you were telling me about the, the the photographs on it. We've got former presenter here at, at Siren FM, Graham King, features on the cover.
3: Yeah, well, the other idea was to make the book, you know, I'm into community f- involvement in football, so as a community little, you know, I don't want to go overboard about it, but to involve local people so the photographer is Andrew Vaughan who's the chaplain lives at Cannock but he's the photographer at Lincoln he took the photos we did some I wanted some photos for the cover to make it as atmospheric as possible rather than just some design that they came up with I wanted it to sort of feature real people so we we took some photos at half time at Lincoln at a Lincoln City game so a lot of people were wondering what the hell was going on in front of the dugouts and everything with Laura who was the who acted the the manageress and so there were people from the Phoenix players who get acknowledged in the book I was, I was short of a couple of people so I got a couple of Lincoln City fans and then when we got the photos there were 40 or 50 photos and there were two or three that worked quite well and the way the Toucans have put it on the cover I think it's alright, I think it works really well, it's quite yeah. effective it needed to be a colourful eye-catching book really it did,
0: I, well it had to have red and white on it didn't
3: it well it needed to be football colours didn't it, you know, <laughs> the only football colours
0: what's next, what's next, are you, are you looking at any more short stories?
3: Well, I might do. I mean, I, I really have enjoyed this, and um, it's selling well. It's selling. I'm pleased with how it's going. Um, we've concentrated locally, but it is for sale to trusts, football trusts, and football supporters. But through football trusts all over the country. So we're starting that sort of next month through the supporters' direct and the football supporters' federation is using it as a fundraiser for football trusts all over. There's there's clubs like Exeter. Uh, fc united of manchester they they are owned those clubs are owned by trust so i think they can they, they may be interested and um, early reaction is quite good i just wonder maybe there might be a, a novel in this with one or more of the characters from each of the short stories, not all of them but so I'm sort of thinking about that but um, the main thing is is to promote the book at the moment.
0: And the uh, contact details if someone wants to uh, get hold of uh, of Taboos, Truels and Trust by Rob Bradley how can they do so? Well
3: locally it's for sale in WH Smiths and at the football club Um, But the best thing probably is to go on the Lincoln City Supporters Trust website Uh which is www.impstrust.co.uk. If you just Google Lincoln City Supporters Trust or
0: Taboos Troubles and Trusts you should be able to find it. And we'll include uh, those details on our website, readingroom.podbean.com and, of course, on the Siren FM website, sirenonline.co.uk. Uh, now, Rob, I believe you're going to read some extracts from the book.
3: OK, this uh, this little bit is uh, about a footballer who's a, a good footballer who plays at championship level, but he's a... Well, not but, but he's a gay footballer. Um, and he's had a relationship, and a, a lot of it has come out in the local media and in, on footballers' Uh, football fans' websites, that sort of thing so all has been revealed in a way that he, he didn't want to Guy lit a cigarette and looked across the courtyard it was late and it was very cold but he didn't feel it as he chain smoked and gulped wine on the balcony a pretty blonde girl wearing a white bathrobe walked out onto the balcony next to his and looked across at him he automatically hid the cigarette down by his side he heard a male voice through the French doors behind her she smiled at him, turned and went back in Guy's mind was racing with worry. As soon as he'd arrived back at the flat, he'd logged on to the supporters' websites and read the vile contributions. He'd turned the laptop off after reading only a fraction of the postings about him. Because he was a good player, but not a hard one, he'd always been appreciated by the home fans, but he'd never really been a favourite. He couldn't imagine the reaction he'd get from them now. The opposition fans would be ten times worse, and the opposing players would be a hundred times worse than that. That's if he ever played again. He thought about how his teammates had been with him earlier in the evening. Were they really that prejudiced? Or was their vitriol down to him letting them and the club as a whole down when they were doing well and needed to pull together? He wished, as he had a million times during his career, that others before him had pioneered this situation so that he didn't have to, or so that the impact now wouldn't be so great. But no one had. It was down to him. If he'd been a better guitar player than footballer, No one would bat an eyelid, but he wasn't, and he would now pay for being part of one of the only professions that couldn't deal with it, either when it was a secret or it was known by everyone. This second reading, again a brief one, is about Sally, who's a football manager of a non-league club, and she's got a bit of a, a rogue chairman, and he surprised her after giving her the job a few weeks later by sacking her for something to do with her son, which he's, he's quite wrong about. And um, this little bit is uh, just after she's been in his office and, and been told the news. Sally walked slowly down the corridor. She was neither surprised nor upset. This was typical Reggie. She sat at her desk and looked down at the scouting report she'd been studying a few minutes earlier. She closed the folder and looked across at the team photo hanging on the wall. Those same players were now fitter than they'd ever been, and they were more aware. They were a team on and off the pitch, and they'd had some good results. She looked at Danny Thomas, grinning away on the front row. She recalled how she'd given him a bit of support and a bit of advice, and he'd never looked back. He was sharp and his confidence was sky high, and he'd been alert enough on Tuesday night to intercept a pass and race through to equalise. Sally thought about what she'd need to do to keep her job. She could fight to overturn the decision to replace her, and after a few seconds, she decided that would be pointless. Sally knew the job was temporary, because all managers' jobs are temporary. Everyone knows that, except hers was always going to be more temporary. One thing she knew when she took on the manager's role was that she was never going to lose the job because she couldn't do it. She knew that if she did lose it, it would be because of stupid, ignorant people. And that's exactly how it had turned out. You're listening to The Reading Room on Siren 107.3 FM.
0: Thank you very much for listening to The Reading Room's podcast. If you want to get in touch with us, you can do it at any point over the month. Reading Room at sirenonline.co.uk. And next month we'll be discussing Half of a Yellow Sun by Shimamanda Ngozi Adachi. And we look forward to any email responses you have over that very, very popular book. And that's all for now. Bye.